0: heidly podcast, Podcasterinos, your boy's back with another one. I got an interview for you with Belfast playwright, author, and sometimes screenwriter, Jimmy McLeavy. Jimmy is a lecturer in creative writing at Queen's University and the associate playwright of the Abbey Theatre in Dublin. In this podcast, we talk about Jimmy's work, plays versus television, empathising with characters, the big questions in religion, Marvel movies why loyalism might have some hidden virtues, and whether human beings are at the top of the food chain or not. What can you expect to learn from this podcast? Potentially nothing, possibly everything. I'm not really sure. It's somewhere in between, but damn, is it going to be interesting. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, how, how have things been going? Are you still in Queens? Are you on sabbatical writing important documents?
1: Uh, No, I'm still in Queens. Um, We Mm -hmm. largely don't go, you know, into the building at the minute. So it's mostly done Uh done from home, uh, Mm -hmm. which is fine.
2: Uh,
0: Yeah, actually, I was doing a bit of research, obviously, for the interview, doing, reading some stuff. And, uh, I saw you talking about your modified writing bed. Oh yeah. <laughs> what, exact, what exactly, what <laughs> exactly does that, um, am I might, I'm definitely in the market for one myself. I just have a normal writing bed.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, it involves, um, well, first of all, getting into terrible trouble with your wife, uh, for, yeah. for letting, okay. for letting the Irish news photographers. And photograph you in bed, uh, and it ending up on the on the front page with a readership of fifty thousand people. Yeah.
0: It's no, also it's, the first thing that comes up when you search you online. So <laughs> it'll, it'll so cool. probably be there forever about looks
1: things. She said <laughs> yeah, she 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 saw it and she said, We will never speak of this. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: uh, oh, no. She didn't keep she didn't keep that promise though. Uh, a, a special modified uh-huh. reading bed involves uh, uh integral bookshelves, uh an integral mm-hmm. desk, um wings on the side of the bed which are hinged Jesus. uh with handles made out of uh champagne corks. So that you can you can draw oh. those those shells toward you. Uh, and,
0: and so <laughs> I'm kind of imagining like a school desk kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Down, but yeah, kind of sick. I'm gonna have to get man. I'll start saving up now. Get one of them. Yeah. Well, um, well Churchill and,
1: said mm-hmm. Churchill had a theory of energy conservation, which went: uh, mm-hmm. never stand up when you can sit down. Never sit down when you can lie down. Never lie down when you can go to sleep.
0: <laughs> I think and he, and he Churchill won the bloody war. has never worked through a pandemic.
1: Yeah, he, he, never, he won the bloody war <laughs> doing that. Oh no, that's sorry, that was Prince Philip did that.
0: That was, IP yeah. as well, Big Philip. We yes. lost him the yes. other week. That's, yes. He
1: invented you know, lasagna, you bit, know.
0: Bit of a tragedy. yeah. He impacted lasagne. Yes. You, yes. Do you know, if you put one lasagna on top of another lasagna, it's still uh-huh. the same lasagna. <laughs> no,
1: that's, there you go. Go. that's that's, that's my philosophic- two cents on it. That's a philosophical problem.
0: <laughs> There'll be a few philosophical questions here actually. Yeah, like, All right, but okay. like I was kinda of wondering, I mean, how did you get into writing? When did you get started? Were you I mean? was this from a young age or did you kind of just, you know, find yourself there at some point in your life? I put,
1: I put it off for as long as I could. I really did. Yeah. Uh, I had my first gig in 1996, which was a different century to this. Um, yeah. On radio Four. uh, and then I managed not to write anything for about ten years. Uh, well, I was, I was, I was afraid of, do, I was afraid of doing it. You know, I
0: was afraid of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it something that? Well, obviously, like, were you a creative person when you were younger? Was it something that you thought about, or were you just doing other stuff? No, I did think about it. All
2: right. Mm-hmm. The first woman I was ever in love with after my mother
1: um, was my Aunt Annie. Now, l- later I discovered my Aunt Annie was actually my great, <laughs> great Aunt Annie uh, and uh-huh. w- was a Victorian, but she was a wonderfully mm-hmm. eloquent woman you know she wouldn't have been you know from a wealthy class of person at all not that that's really relevant but she was a wonderfully eloquent woman um in fact when the when the British army arrived in Belfast she had a, a home help called Minnie I think and Minnie was looking out the window and the British army appeared coming down the street you know and the, the, she says to Annie, 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 the army are coming. The army are coming. And my aunt Annie says, How many does the army consist of? Uh, well, it turned out to be two. Squ- <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be two and yeah. the fix, her TV for her. Actually, she was a great football fan. Um, but she had, she said of me when I was very young, um, the Greeks have a word for it, and so does our James. Uh, she called me James. Uh, so I had yeah, <clears throat> I think it was a, a a wordy kid, you know, wordy kid. Uh, yeah, I like like words. Bit verbose, A bit verbose. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, an insufferable, no, no doubt, little Lord Fogleroy.
0: Yeah, so you're very in annoying, fact, and they assume that you fact, in would fact, become yes, an artist yes, at some point.
1: And, and I is. had a wee page boy haircut, and I remember my mother had me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she had me in the, this, these these kind of lilac. Slacks, I think, would be the word from uh-huh. them for them, and a matching <laughs> lilac shirt. When
0: was it? the the nineteen forties? <laughs>
1: no, no, this this would have been in the nineteen seventies. Because I remember, and this little page boy, okay, and yeah. I, I imagine I remember going out hmm. into a riot, uh, in this, and I remember mm-hmm. the 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 two uh, sides of the riot all stopping and turning. To look at little Lord Fauntleroy, <laughs> <laughs> and uniting, uniting in their hatred. <laughs> just and they they, they a- turned their, directly at yourself. She, yes, yes, they turned their attentions on me, <laughs> and that is this, how I became a writer, Martin. That's my my ability. That's kind of a, yeah, it's a pretty yeah.
0: good origin story. That was yes, my ability what I to unite. <laughs> To unite
1: warring factions to the power of my to
0: yeah, so.
1: Lilac outfit. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: and in Belfast in the seventies, I mean, it's it was a pretty hectic time, I imagine, growing up. My dad's from the West as well. Yes, yes, he's so obviously...
1: from, from from close to me, he's from Turf Lodge, isn't he? mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is um, indeed. Um yeah, I mean, like for a long, long time. Now, I come come from a a very strange place. Um, mm-hmm. I come from West Belfast, but I come from the posh little part of West Belfast, uh, where people <laughs> people owned their houses, and there was even someone had a car. Um,
2: Whoa. I'll tell you a story about that car later if you're interested. But absolutely. So I was both lower middle class and lived in a working-class
1: area during uh, a war. But now I've spent many years thinking that I wasn't affected by it, because I certainly wasn't affected by it to the extent that, you know, you know, people 50 or 100 yards away were. And also because of the time that I was, was born, I was born in
2: sixty-eight. But I do well, I mean, I was just checking this with my sister the other night. The
1: the house across from us, the man in that house was murdered. And mm-hmm. on the left hand side, two doors down from us, the man in the house he he had been murdered by the
2: British Army. So it was was both ever-present and
1: I, I managed largely to avoid it. They did, the Loyalists had a go at me in 1993, but they missed. Uh, 1993,
0: he, so that would have been a good bit later.
1: Yeah, yeah. But they missed by a mile. Uh, I, I later found out, I later found out I saw the guy, I recognized the guy off a mural, then years later I had to go on one of these,
0: <laughs> these. You, know, you know that's not a good way of identifying people to be <laughs> yeah, yeah, having yeah. beefs with Ziff yeah, yeah, yeah. murals.
1: Yeah, he was de- he was de- <laughs> he was dead by by then, um and his name was Okay so uh, Stevie. Top Gun McCaig. I remember bursting out laughing, seeing Top Gun, you know. Not only did he miss me, but he missed the car <laughs> yeah. I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: but I wouldn't did, have, talk- yeah. I wouldn't we'll have, have talked Tom about Cruise.
1: that. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have talked about that for years <laughs> because really yeah. it, was, it was nothing in the context uh, yeah. of what, what other people uh, experienced. You know, and 92, 93 were were particularly bad um, for uh, loyalist murders um, all all across Belfast. Yeah. Yeah, kind Um, of
0: coming up to the peace process. Mm.
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, some people detect, you know, some political guidance in that, let's say, uh, Mm -hmm. in those events. Yeah, but you were, and, yeah, I've got, I I've mean, got off you're topic, writing, you are right yeah, yeah.
0: Well, no, it just, it's, a, it's all connecting together. I am, um, what I was thinking whenever I was looking at, obviously I haven't seen any of your plays, but I take it on good faith yep. that you're exceptionally them, so. good and fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, I, yeah, I mean, I'd love to go and see them, but at the moment it's not really going to happen. Um, yeah. But it doesn't seem like they're very troubles based, you know what I mean? It's quite like, no, no. um, do you think it influenced coming from the West or it's maybe in subtext?
1: It had a very significant effect on me culturally and intellectually. He, he said pretentiously, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really did. I mean, I, I, I knew I went to university in England and, I uh, met all these mm-hmm. kids who had what I felt was a very naive faith in things like democracy um, and freedom and, you know, all the kind of liberal intellectual yeah. values and the kind of intellectual hope that they had. And I had come from a place where all these concepts, um, you know, how democracy really was majority rule in Northern Ireland. And, of course, a lot yep. of people disputed the fact whether it was, you know, democratic to begin with, you know, in terms of in terms of partition. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. How the concept of, you know, freedom fighting, you know, almost immediately became uh, the, the killing of innocents civilians, you know, he, he just became expedient. Um and all those things that you know, particularly the, the left had great faith in, you know, I had seen really being challenged to destruction. Uh where where I came from. And yeah. actually I really think the effect of it is is to not have faith in ideas. In, in in the way that another I know, I know similarly so guy, yeah, hmm.
3: yeah,
0: ideas rather than institutions, because that's something I always the impression I got, obviously from my relatives and stuff that I would have known was um, yeah. a real lack of faith in institutions there because it was so corrupt and there was well, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, justice was yeah. a a difficult word.
1: Yes, yes, that that too. But I suppose I'm saying that I was Mm -hmm. probably I was probably a very very academic kid, and you Mm -hmm. you might have expected a a a child or a young man like that to to become an kind of academic adult. Mm You know, with yep. or, or you know, they use that awful old, old word, an intellectual. You know, but there wasn't really room mm-hmm. for intellectuals in the mm-hmm. culture that I was in because because we had seen that ideas. It, it's 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 complicated. It's really uh-huh. the on the one. I think hand, I understand I, I, kind
0: of where you're coming from. though.
1: yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, mean, it's completely irrelevant if, you know, what you needed, what people needed to affect political change or influence the situation, Um, what you needed was a pound of syntax. Not a very well, (laughs) you know, (laughs) a very well-developed... Not a great argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, more of a Kalashnikov or... that was how you got things done. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than writing books and plays and whatnot.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could also, I mean, you, you could argue that, though, the, that that conflict was also driven by ideas, mm. you know, ideas of identity or ideas of the, you know, about the ideal constitutional status of that part of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Um, didn't really, mm. then, you know, well, it does and it doesn't feel like that you know uh mm-hmm. to really tease that out, i would i would bore people to death uh i think that's if anybody listens to do people listen to this man
0: sometimes every now and again we get yeah. we we're number eight in ireland there the other week what? In what are you? self-improvement podcasts so oh great i'm not doing to too this. bad man for yeah. pro- procrastinating side project
1: I listened to a, a couple of them. You've got some real oddballs there. It's great.
0: I know, man. I, I exclusively interview just the weirdest people I can think of. That's how uh, I, you know, I decided that old Jimmy was perfect for the for the great. the sort of great.
1: okay
0: market I was going for. But um, all right, all right. I, I'll
1: try. I'll try and live. Yeah, up to what? That, what man. I was wondering. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Well, you're definitely. I think you're you're probably the most knowledgeable guest I've had so far. um, Oh, good, good. In terms of your craft, for Uh certain. And do you think? I mean, you went to Oxford, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And was that just a complete culture shock from the West?
1: Do you yes. think that that yes, but then again, I have to I have to remind you that I was a lower middle class child uh, from a mm-hmm. working class area, you know, and we also had, you know, I went to a Christian Brothers school um, that, would, would, mm-hmm. that was brilliantly diverse in, te- in terms of class. So, I mean, you would have you would have your cohort of you know teachers, sons, uh, and doctors. I mean, diverse. Uh, diverse, i don't mean diverse to, to, to stretch as far as to in, include girls. <laughs> was, you know <laughs> that would have been excessive. Um, yeah. But no, you, you would have had your teacher's sons, and you know, and maybe a doctor's son. A friend of mine was the son of a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you would have had, you know, uh, working-class guys, uh, and we were all mixed up together, which which was brilliant you know um and that's because Give it a bit of, of
0: a different flair
1: well it was you know and you had to d- d- develop uh, you know different skills let's say than you would have mm-hmm. uh yeah uh, el- elsewhere you know um a thick skull being one of them to resist, <laughs> yeah. to resist uh harlan sticks from from christian brothers <laughs> uh, yeah i'd say that was, there was a, a, a kind top of priority my, my, um
0: what was it yeah sorry.
1: I was called St. Mary's. Go ahead. Um but my mother uh-huh. used to say that I was privately educated uh by the Christian brothers, you know. Um and mm-hmm. you know I got I think I got a I think I got a very good education uh from them and and from from the lay teachers as well. In fact I'm still friends
0: with some of the some of the teachers. Um. So
1: yeah. And do you obvious- think even?
0: I mean, at that time in your life, were you thinking about plays? Like, did you go to plays? Did you Not see them? Time. Was there any Still inkling don't. that that was something that you were? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> were you just like, what? Well, that's kind of what I'm wondering. Is like, where? At what point did you realize you were a playwright? When was this terrifying moment that you were like, oh Jesus Christ, I'm going to write plays?
1: Well, I wrote one.
0: And
2: then,
3: yeah.
1: So then, I didn't think I was a playwright after that. I mean, I do, I do ask myself frequently, man, whether I am a playwright or not. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, it's not. I it's have,
0: not. I've always considered you vision.
1: I do write. I write the plays. You know, uh, I write all the plays, by the way. You know, except those substitute. Um. But I do, you know. I I often wonder, as audiences, small though they be, uh, of my plays, also often wonder, um, is, <laughs> is he is he a playwright? You know, I thought a play was 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 different to this <laughs> thing. You know, uh, yeah, I do often wonder whether I do often wonder whether I am one or not. You know,
0: and with the play, yeah, I mean, because I know you write books as well and um, stuff for film and everything else. Would you say plays is what you mainly do? Is that really, do you I, think I, about I, it like it, that? It, or it is what do you I mean. Do have mainly, a favourite?
1: Yeah. No, it is mainly what I do with my time. Um, I mean, plays have a reputation for being able to grapple with yeah. some of the stranger Content of life, so there's less of a pressure to say, for instance, in a screenplay uh, i mean you've got you've got to have a very efficient muscular story which keeps the audience hooked um, yep. there's less let's say less of a pressure to do that in a certain type of theater. You know the contract with the audience is slightly different, whereby mm-hmm. the, you know the, the audience are leaning forward into the play; they're they're prepared to make the play halfway. Sometimes, increasingly, perhaps uh-huh. that's becoming less and less the case um, for work that is necessarily difficult. I don't mean difficult just in you know; I don't mean difficult as in lazy. Um, yeah, or difficult as in pompous uh, or deliberately, you know, sub- subconsciously difficult but work that deals with difficult material uh, and is trying Difficult to,
0: material rather than just being like really long-winded and yeah, maybe a bit yeah. old school for
1: people yeah. watching
0: Netflix yeah. series all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are some things that do not lend themselves... To you know, a a thrilling and and gripping story. Um, you know, for instance, I can't see how pot boilers about the troubles, for instance, are <laughs> like, are uh, anything other than kind of play. yeah, are anything other than morally shabby. You know. And, and yeah it's just a, mm-hmm. something that you really ought to go and confess you know um the thought <laughs> that, the thought that that you know these people's tragedy is somehow fit entertainment for for other mm-hmm. people I mean, I can't believe that we do that. I really can't be, you
0: know um. It is unusual, isn't it? It's kind of like a weird obsession that we have with even the most grotesque shit, like that Ted Bundy movie that had Zach Heffron playing Ted Bundy. Yeah. I thought that was a particular weird moment for the 21st century. Like yeah. I feel yeah. like if Ted Bundy wrote that movie, <laughs> he would have picked Zach Efron to play him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're kind of like, oh yeah, this is great. And there's so much screen. Um, and do you think crime? play yeah. Oh, sorry.
1: Do I think yeah. plays,
0: particularly in Belfast, it seems to be a big, a big thing. The true crime. Do you think plays can deal with moral issues that TV and film can't?
1: No, I think TV and and, and film can, uh, but don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Because okay. of the the uh, the difficulty with with ratings, and uh, I think certain broadcasters took took the wrong decision about that that kind of thing some time ago um, so I, I think absolutely it can and, uh, and you know just because you're dealing with something that's either morally difficult or the ideas are difficult mm-hmm. or the experience uh, is difficult it's difficult to represent in mm-hmm. dramatic form doesn't mean it has to be boring in fact that's the last thing it can be, you know, and yeah. it can it can mm-hmm. have entertainment values, uh, I think, but it has to have something. It has to have something new and perhaps important to say, um,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that's that's I think a test that the that, that we use in in theatre that just isn't used uh, in other forms. I don't think there's anything necessarily formal about that but it's cultural Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's cultural and it's economic Mm. you know
0: you make so in the sense that it has to show something in a new way if you're going to bring it to the stage it can't just be the same kind of format of your three act storyline a b and c kind of pop boiler like that it should show a a particular problem from a new angle is that what you mean
2: yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I mean the latter. I, I mean myself mm-hmm. as an audience member. I'm I'm not interested in formal experiment for formal experiment's sake. Um, yeah. Look, now, let me let me try and give you an example. An awful lot of young people experience mm-hmm. depression and anxiety.
2: Mm-hmm. You could write a play about that. The difficulty is that depression and anxiety are internal.
1: I mean, obviously, they manifest themselves externally, but they're fundamentally internal.
2: That's a problem for representing that dramatically. They are also cyclical. I
1: mean, they are the problem, the distress, partly the part of the distress that those conditions mm-hmm. um, represents. is because they are, a, 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 you, the, the, the sufferer is trapped in a repeating loop.
2: Uh, and that is anathema in, in theatre. um
1: or in drama and storytelling, full stop, you know, what you're looking for is escalation and repetition. Mm-hmm. Drama, particularly, abhors repetition. So, there's a subject where you've got to be, you've got to try and be, you've got to do something with the form that's going to try and accommodate mm-hmm. that material somehow. Yeah. So, there's there, that would be an example and to me think- of where. Yeah, of where formal innovation means something, you know, because you, you have to do it, you know, however you try and do it. You're probably setting yourself up the field, but there you go. Um, I, I, I also... Yeah, myself, the way I think
0: about that is kind of... Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, no,
1: tell me. I'm interested.
0: Yeah, I've been... Th- Thinking about like, uh, it seems like in theater, a lot of the time you kind of have to lead off with an issue or something like what you've mentioned with depression or anxiety, Yeah, like a lot of the time they want there to be a big issue about yeah. it, maybe more yeah. so than television and things like that. And yeah. I think trying to gel that with the story because issues aren't stories. That's what I find a lot. Sometimes I watch things. I'm like, this is very much about an issue, but an issue isn't actually a a compelling narrative in itself. You'd have to, um, as you've said, give it something to do with the form of the play in order to make it relevant.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, that play I'm thinking of um, was about Mm -hmm. communicating a very private experience that hadn't been seen Mm -hmm. communicated before. I mean, everyone thinks of depression as a kind of radical lethargy, you know, where the, the... the person yep. experience it takes to their bed or something or feels exhausted, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. a much mm-hmm. it's a much more dramatic, let's say, uh, thing than that. But yes, you're absolutely right. Yep. I mean we know the we know the issue based play or issue based drama that stinks uh of Arts Council Grant. It, it, you know, it It stinks of, yeah, hmm. it stakes of social purpose, you know, um, I guess probably. And also uh, I think
0: does an injustice to the topic a lot of the time, which could be maybe better told through an actual character or something that's a bit more, um, more of an example, I suppose, of the specific problem. And yeah, I, with that, I mean, trying to reconcile what's popular with issues and then the actual story of the play. Um, is it something you think about when you're writing a play, what the audience wants to see, or do you just think about the story that you're putting together and assume that that will work?
1: Well, you're always, I mean, one of the peculiarities of the forum is that you're always thinking of the audience. With, with with every yeah. word, but you're
2: not thinking of what they want to see. Um, mm-hmm. That's not. I I I don't do that. I can't do that. Um, I'd be maybe I'd be more successful if it,
1: if if I it did that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if I was going to do that, I would, you know, I would like heist movies or or something. You you know.
0: Fast and the Furious, um, number 14. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. 13 was good. Um, Yeah. I kind of reconciled myself
2: to the fact, Martin, that Uh what I do is like crown green bowling. (laughs) It's it's
1: got its...
0: It's quite niche.
1: It's pretty niche. It's got its, its... Dedicated players. It's it's got its small number of devotees. We do not exclude mm-hmm. any fans of Crown Green bowling. Um, but yep. not an awful lot of them come along, certainly not from my street. Um I'm pretty reconciled to that. From time to time, we try and be uh, you know American bowling it's all clatter and noise mm-hmm. and, and colourful shoes uh, and sometimes yeah. sometimes people come along to to see that but it's not the crown green bowling mm-hmm. that I know and, and <laughs> love you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> the good old crown green bowling yeah yeah I mean I, people I, I mean I'm writing this play at this moment that's that's why I'm asking these strange questions yeah. um yeah for some context for whoever's listening yeah. but um trying to figure out I mean because I've done so many feckin' drafts of it and mm. literally like almost different plays and it seems like every note you get is about a different thing and um it seems like the audience adds this kind of strange dynamic that you're always trying to guess what people want to see almost. And it's never the way I'd have written anything before. Um, so I guess I wanted to pick your brain and how you think about the audience. Do you, are you set, what are you setting them up for when they go in? Are you thinking about the whole play or a specific moment of the play? Um, how do you factor the audience in when you're writing on your own?
1: Well, first of all, you've got to to, uh, entertain and move yourself. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe entertain's not the word. You've got to spend... Well, I've just done draft 10 of a play, um, Mm -hmm. which I've been doing over a number of years. Um, You've got to have something that you will believe is worth spending your time, that amount of time over. Um, so, you, I mean, you're the first, you're the first test of the play on its material. Um, mm-hmm. You're the first representative of the audience. And then, you know, if you're, if you're lucky, uh, actors uh, and a director will, will come along uh, and maybe do readings and that sort of thing. Uh, whether when, and then you start to find out that the thing that you wrote that you thought meant X means Y to other people. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Unless uh, unless it's a very simple, simple type of a a, yeah. a a a thing, you know, and you you know, but there's absolutely no doubt. But you know, we tend to deal in complexities and ambiguities. Don't we? Well, some people do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will go through drafts where you where you find that you misdirected an audience,
2: uh, you bored them, it's too long, um, mm-hmm. that they are looking. It's a bit. It's a bit like, let's say it's a gemstone and it's got
1: lots of different facets in the cut of the gemstone. And you're looking at it from one angle, and inside it you see a wee kind of blue
2: flame. You find when you're working on others in the earlier drafts,
1: they're looking at it from another angle, and they don't see that. They see a tiny chicken. (laughs) and somebody else is
0: making a lot of sense
1: yeah and somebody else sees a giant moose and the job of redrafting
2: is to say no come over come over here and look at it from this angle and how you do that that's that's the craft of playwriting it's how you get an audience that's what the
3: playwriting
1: yeah it's getting the audience to come over and look at it from this angle this thing that seems ugly and misshapen and complex if looked at from the wrong direction if they look at it from this angle it can be it can be simple and beautiful uh, as as well as complex um and that's the challenge with dif- with difficult, complex, ambiguous material. You have to find with, and how you do that isn't just mm-hmm. intellectually in terms of you know, this is what the ideas of the play are saying or arguing about, but mm-hmm. emotionally too. Um you have to find there's a little if, it, if you're really lucky and you're really stick at it, there's a wee bit of magic that, that emotionally you can direct the audience to the right way of looking at the play.
0: That kind of turns everybody's head in the right direction if it's done yeah. properly. Hmm. Yeah. And what do you think about, a slight change of pace, but um, do you think viewers need to empathize with the character? Is that something when you're sitting down to write a play, do you look at your first couple of pages and go, is this person, you know, can Joe Soap or Joe Bloggs come in and go, yeah, that, that seems like me. That's kind of, there's some shared humanity immediately, or do you just write the character that you, you know, want to write and think fits the bill?
1: I think there's something about the human being that if you present something truthfully, that an audience will immediately identify with them. Now, not in, in saying that that's me, mm-hmm. but if you ever notice mm-hmm. you're talking to somebody about something that's kind of emotional to them and and their eyes missed over, you know?
2: As if they're maybe about to cry and don't, you find your eyes doing it too. Yeah. Um.
1: And I don't think you can do that by saying, "Here's Joe Soap, so I'll give them I'll give them Joanne Soap um, on stage, and they'll identify <laughs> yeah. with them because you can't know who who yeah. Joe so- Joe Soap is in 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 the first place. Um, yeah. And a That's interesting. interesting. So
0: philosophically, yeah, you don't want to try and plan for what the person you don't know is going to think about. Yeah. But basically, like if you if you're creating the character and you do it as honestly as possible as a yeah. real human being in some sense or a, an avatar, that that it will be built into it already, yeah rather than yeah. trying to reverse engineer it the other way.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. There goes John Truby's fucking 21 tips on story. That's out the window. Yeah.
1: I mean, maybe though. I mean, I have yeah. had notes from directors <laughs> saying, can you make this character, uh-huh. you know,
0: a bit more likable? Um, yeah. Uh, That's always an interesting one. Yeah. Likeable. But I like, I think morally ambiguous is also pretty important. Yeah. I think. Yeah. In the sense of that they're complicated, but do you think in theater nowadays there's so much red tape it seems like it's actually hard to depict certain aspects of things like I have this play is all men and I've already gotten in a lot of trouble about it being told yeah. that I should have you know that it shouldn't be that way but the problem is the story is about these two young guys who are kind of wasting their lives and have fallen into nihilism and sessioning and in It is a uniquely, this type of self-destruction I think is uniquely about young men and I suppose, yeah, it's hard to compromise these things really when you're crafting a story.
2: Yeah, Um, I wouldn't, you'd have to ask my
1: wife whether I was a feminist or not. Um.
2: Yeah, I do. Think,
0: <laughs> Kathleen will let me know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um.
1: But uh, you know, we have. I mean, the, the figures alone just just tell you, you. You know, we haven't seen enough work by women on our stages. Not just our stages. We haven't. The big issue for you, and you know I've experienced this too you have had criticism Mm -hmm. for writing a a play that was uh, all men and I felt too that because it was about men uh, that Mm -hmm. that was okay Um, I mean they didn't point out the Mm -hmm. fact that the previous play I'd written was all women and the next play was all women Mm -hmm. but Mm-hmm. The issue the issue that I think you're experiencing and on, on other male playwrights experiences, is
2: that while it's absolutely right um that women and young women and old women are
1: represented on stage and that uh, that are directed and produced by women uh, and written by women. Mm-hmm. There can't be any argument
2: mm-hmm. uh, about that. Um, mm-hmm. The question is who pays the reparations? Mm-hmm. Who benefited from this patriarchal model of theatre? Well, it wasn't you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So why should your work not be produced? Because certain institutions
1: have finally woke up to the fact that they're not producing any women writers. I don't think it was your fault in the first place. And I don't think. Yeah,
0: yeah, I don't think so.
1: Yeah. And I don't think (laughs) you should pay the reparations for this injustice.
3: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So who should pay?
0: I, yeah, I totally. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the if, government? if uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, um, if
1: as a society <laughs> we cared about
2: this, um, mm-hmm. we we would create extra funding uh,
1: for women playwrights because it's not as simple as you know you just you just open the doors uh, and and say women who've been excluded send your plays in. Because that's not how playwriting works. Mm-hmm. You need to develop people, and you need to develop people for significant periods of time, um, mm-hmm. men and women. But if you if you haven't had the benefit of that de- mm-hmm. development, uh, um, then it needs to be supplied. It costs money, and everything that's wrong with yep. theater is about money. And everything that can change. What's and do you wrong think? It's a yeah, scarcity.
0: Scarcity it's about it's about there's a limited budget for things and then they decide based on that but i'm interested also because a lot of your work is very much based on religion and is it i mean are you do you ever think well i don't know some of your plays as far as Uh, i've seen there seems to be
1: no no you're absolutely right yeah i only i only woke i only woke up to this recently myself um uh, is I this hadn't, something that you kind of that.
0: Yet? Hang on a second.
1: Yeah, I hadn't noticed that myself when I went, you, Oh yeah, it's about half a dozen of uh-huh. them are.
0: <laughs> about the table." <laughs> <Yeah. coughs> it just just kind of appeared. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, is there do you still feel like there's room for that these days? Is that because a lot of I find myself oftentimes, I mean, I'm not religious. Well, I was born Without being baptized or anything, but I've definitely changed my mind on it as Mm -hmm. I've gotten older Mm -hmm. and kind of become a confused Catholic a little bit. Um, But I think, yeah, those kind of questions and stuff. Do you think it's harder to get? Um, Do you think there's any interest in that in theater? I mean, what are your what's on your radar for that type of dealing with those kind of religious questions?
2: Uh, Not a lot.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
2: uh, You know, I I think we're at a bit of a... We're in a period of cultural change, of course. Mm -hmm. It seems a bit adolescent to me, a culture in Ireland that says... Well, we had all that religion stuff. Look what it
1: led to. Look, look at the abuses it led to. Look at the mother and baby homes, uh, yeah. paedophilia scandals. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we will junk junk all religion. now yeah. you know, it's good to be it's good to be angry uh, about these
2: things, and it's right to be angry about these these abuses. Mm-hmm. But I you know, you also have to be, so have to think about it a wee bit, you know, what did religion
1: give us? What did it give millions of people throughout the ages? Mm -hmm. Why did they choose to believe? Mm -hmm. What were their struggles Mm -hmm. with belief? What Mm -hmm. did, what did it produce? Um, Mm -hmm. And what fundamental need
2: did it serve, you know, and uh, Mm
1: -hmm. so, uh, you know, and if I I was to be optimistic, which I'm not, uh, I would say we're going through a phase of kind of, uh, it's it's an adolescent phase of our culture uh, and we will, you know, look again at these things in with mature consideration we won't. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, you know, I suspect yeah. what's really happening is, is that we had one empire that we threw off uh, in the 20s uh, imperfectly, uh, replaced it with a second empire uh, of the Catholic Church in the South, and mm-hmm. we're now being thoroughly colonized by a third empire.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is the empire yeah. of American imperialism, uh, which is delivered, you know, not not with a jackboot, but through uh, wires uh, into your house through so media that, and yeah, but so that so that I mean, if you've even you know, so that the preoccupations uh, of a young woman or a young man in Dublin are identical to the preoccupations of a young man or a young woman uh, in California. Yeah. Uh, and they I think consumers. that's a bit of a
0: shame though, isn't it? Like, I feel like you're losing the Irish. I, I've noticed that living in the North as much as that's kind of a, what would you call it? A bit of an oxymoron that there is, there seems to be more emphasis on that identity despite it being so factionated um, than there is in the South, which has become probably more Americanized. Um, you can even well, maybe detect- it is all just again because we're young. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, no it. well, no, I you know I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's a kind of cultural cringe that the Republic suffers from. Yeah, you know, thinking that we are mm-hmm. a you know we are only a young nation. We are not, not as old as it was, it was formed geologically at the same time as uh, you know Moscow. Um, tr- it, 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 it
2: troubles me, you know. Do mm-hmm. you want to hear a story? We'll tell you a story. Absolutely. We'll tell you an anecdote. Um,
0: Please, Jimmy. I would. Yeah,
1: I would enjoy they, that. They call me Jack Anori and nori and, and work. You know. You know, in meetings You know, because they all, <laughs> they all want to make points, and I want to tell them. A, you know, an illustrative story. But let me tell you an illustrative <laughs> story. <then. laughs> yeah. Uh, The lady, Kathleen, uh, wanted to go for lunch in a new restaurant uh, in Belfast. Uh, She is a woman with very elegant sensibilities uh, and and a refined palate. Mm -hmm. Um, She wanted to go to this uh, restaurant called the Muddler's Club. Now, the Muddler's Club, uh, of course, uh, I knew was where the... United Irishmen of Belfast met leading up to the rebellion of 1798. So I thought, well, I mean, that's that's maybe interesting. Okay, we'll go there. Right. So we sat down for lunch and immediately I'm in bad form because they present this menu. It's got about four things on it and it goes
2: like pork, potato, carrot. <laughs> you know, listen, I'm 50
1: years of age. I've been around, I've eaten a few dinners, you know. You wouldn't think it to look at me, but I've eaten a <laughs> few dinners, right? I might know how I would like the pork cooked, you know, or the potatoes or the carrots or, or what have you. So I'm already I'm annoyed, you know. I'm going to get the wine list. Get the wine list, right? There's a Wolf Tone cocktail on them and a Henry Joy McCracken cocktail on them, right? And I'm sitting there, right? And I know 25 yards that way, the IRA used to explode a bomb just about every Friday afternoon in Lower Donegal Street. One time there were big, big casualties. But 25 yards the other way is Hill Street. And if you look up Hill Street in Lost Hill you'd see how many sectarian murders took place in Hill Street. In fact, I think there was a guy hanged. In the 70s, off railings and hills like Hang to death, I, th- I think, right? And I'm thinking, both those, both the IRA, they're 25 yards that way, and Loyalists, 25 yards that way, were animated and inspired
2: by the ideas that the United Irishmen were grappling with. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to make it a fucking cocktail.
1: I thought to myself, what what is my responsibility as a citizen here? Is it is it really to die out, you know? Is it, you know, should that generation just die out until this is all forgotten and becomes, you know, becomes marketized? And right about then, around about then mm-hmm. was the Loyalist flag protest, right? Which subsequently everybody used to call the flag protest taking the piss at him. <laughs> And the restaurant so her- one where the woman
0: shouted in, "No surrender." Did you yeah, see
1: that? I'd say that's probably quite likely. But they—they they brought Belfast to a standstill uh, a number of times with yeah. these these street protests because uh, the union flag had been taken down from city council, building, so just to be flown on certain days. Um. And the restaurateurs of of Belfast launched a campaign, something along the lines of take back the city or something like that, you know, so that, you know, people could come into the city and order baba ganoush and the waiter to explain to them what what it is, some 20-year-old waiter to explain, which is incidentally rotten baba ganoush. It's like sour baby food. (laughs) And, And I remember thinking, I have more in common
2: with those flag protesters than those restaurateurs. <laughs> they
1: are people, I disagree with, but they are people of, they are people of political principle. You know, they're not a <laughs> They are. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's a bit like, I don't know, being, you know, identified with Ian Paisley because he's really committed. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> to yeah, like,
1: yeah
0: yeah <laughs> because yeah, yeah William well, of Orange because you're ambitious
1: yeah 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 I mean it was an un- uncomfortable <laughs> position to be in Um mm. but yep. at least I thought at least you people have ideas at least you have faith mm. in something even though I disagree with it I think you're mis- misguided and uh, mm-hmm. at times you know at least I respect that but, uh, about you
2: that yeah.
1: ponce coming out with you know his 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 foam uh, of ennui surrounding a hazelnut of hope, fourteen ninety nine. You know, <coughs> can we not go back to shooting him? <laughs> yeah. Um I think so, I know
0: I know where you're coming mm, from. That's kind mm. of, Do you think symbolically then what you mean is that at least there's this kind of commodification of everything that's happening that's like a race to just make things sellable? Whereas at least with things like the sentimentality, I suppose, around the flag is something more like a higher value. Do you think yeah. that comes back to the religion thing that religion at least has some values in something. It's not this free floating, everything's for sale. Some things are good and some things are bad. And there's a kind of, um, a map to follow in some way.
2: Uh, that, that's one version of religion that it's
1: a map to follow and, you know, and that can be incredibly valuable, um, say to a dying person. Mm -hmm. This is how this mm-hmm. is done. This is how, how this has been done mm-hmm. by my co-religionists uh, for a couple of thousand years. The, there may or may not be uh, an afterlife. I choose to to believe,
2: and well, the the dying person might say, mm-hmm. it also has other aspects that
1: are more attractive to me and that it's about mysteries mm-hmm. uh and the yeah. more kind of the more theology you, you you would read which i don't you know I do look it up on the internet uh <laughs> The <laughs> you, you know the more sophisticated you'll actually find the, theologians being and and people of faith being you know where they'll say that you know this is a fundamental mystery and the great thing about the mystery is the more you look the more there is to see. I mean that's what mm-hmm. that's what people of faith I think experience when they're looking at statues and icons, um. That are dismissed by other people as uh superstition. Um, which was always the great the great anti anti Catholic uh slur, you know, along with garish statues. Oh, aren't there statues so garish,
0: you know? Um
1: <laughs> and to me. Is there that any is... of these
0: mysteries in your work?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Is there any but is there any specific ones you can think of that you'd um is that would a play deal with one of these kind of fundamental mysteries?
1: Well, in some cack handed way, I hope that they're they're all at that. Um, well look, I okay, let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. The one I'm on draft yeah. pen of. Uh which is called the Book of Joe. Uh, uh. and to get back to your earlier uh observation it is part of a trilogy um mm-hmm. the first one was about saint joseph who was a in the play was a non-believer and that's called the. i call it myself the book of joe j-o-e although it was performed under mm-hmm. another another title the virgin father there's the, the virgin written, father yeah i've written another thing called the book of Joby. uh mm-hmm. And this plays The Book of Joe, J.O. And really, what the play's is about is this woman's very disturbing preoccupation with her own
2: mortality. She's very frightened of death. And it haunts her.
1: It haunts her pathologically. She can't confess it to her partner because her partner... Is actually maybe dying herself. She is end stage kidney disease, uh, and is hoping for a transplant. Mm-hmm. Ultimate re- re- ultimately, really, what the pl- and she Joe then is visited by this man, and we don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And he goads her, and goads her, and goads her and breaks down
2: all her defences until she almost commits suicide. And he reveals to her just before this moment that he is the Jesus that she abandoned 30 years ago. Now, he's he's not a cuddly Jesus, uh,
1: and he's also not a homophobic Jesus. As he says, you believe all sorts of things when you're 33. Um, (laughs) He's got over his homophobia. Um, But ultimately, really, the question, the the play poses two questions. One,
3: Mm
1: -hmm. are the big questions of existence really the big questions or were we just led to believe that they were the big questions which goes some somewhat to answering what you were saying is anybody interested in this any, anymore well maybe no they're not interested in it anymore because they're not really the big questions we were just led to believe they were the big questions why are we here you know mm-hmm. is there any meaning of it can you make any meaning of it is there any chance of survival after death? Well, probably not, but is it a good idea to believe in it anyway, et cetera
2: mm-hmm. and the second big question for an audience is did if if you were brought up with faith as Joe was and
1: lost it in her early teens about around the time she she discovered she was a, attracted to other girls. If you're if you're brought up with that faith and you're you're brought up with the terror of the crucifixion,
2: you're brought up with the which represents the terror of death, uh yet yet God will save you because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross.
1: If you abandon or can't or are forced to abandon, I think in her case, because of the homophobia of the church. If you're forced to abandon
2: that faith in God, are you still left with the terror of death? Mm-hmm. And had that woman not been brought up
1: in religion, with religion, she might not have had that fear of death at all, perhaps. So that, you know, don't, uh, that to me is an interesting question
0: uh did the religion implant the fear of death from all the fire and brimstone kind of thing or yeah is it actually something that human beings have to grapple with anyway
1: yeah because christianity directs Ah, you to the moment of your death all the time uh and
0: simultaneously promises you salvation um So, well, that's kind of an old problem, isn't it? Like, Because Stoicism, uh, stoicism. I've been reading a lot of lately, and they kind of had the same thing, the whole memento mori, remember you will die. Um, yeah. And some of them even advise that you pretend that you're already dead. Yeah. And that this is just like bonus time yeah. on earth. Yeah. So you, you actually yeah. make the most of it. But I mean, I suppose the whole of Christianity is based around, I mean, it kind of starts when we become aware of death, doesn't it? The Garden of Eden, the fall, that's kind of the the beginning of religion is the awareness of death, because then you're condemned to work for all eternity. So you have to figure out a way to live properly, even in the face of your inevitable destruction. That's why I think it's interesting that it's based on the book of Job. Is that what the whole series of books is dealing with that problem of I mean, with Job, because he was punished for being a decent human being. But well, it that was kind it, of the—he
1: was punished as a result of the cross of that one. It was a bet
0: between, yeah, between
1: that. God, God, and uh, the devil. The devil says, "You know, mm-hmm. I bet, yeah, I could turn your your man Job against you." But I mean, it's about it's a, you know it's about human suffering. Isn't it? And God speaks. Mm-hmm. God speaks at the at the end uh, and says, uh, "It's great." Like said in some of the best poetry I I have ever written. Basically, he says, "Do you know a horse?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and Joe goes, "Yeah." And God goes, "You know a horse? You know how brilliant a horse is?" And it's described in fantastic poetry. Joe goes, "Yeah." And <laughs> God goes, uh, "Where were you when I made that?" And then God goes, Do you know a whale? <laughs> uh and Joe goes, All right, fine, okay, okay, I get it, you know. So I mean and, and and then he gets to live for several hundred years. Um because he has it he has found this humility in the you know, in the face yeah. of God. Um I mean that's, one that's what That's what I it. love.
0: I, I really do uh, like that story yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: the kind i mean of, it's one the
1: moral of why not you why not you exactly exactly I mean, why not mean
0: everything dies and everything suffers why wouldn't you yeah that seems yeah. To be the kind of
1: but the interesting question is isn't it why mm-hmm. can we not really believe it i mean individually mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah why do you mean the overall the whole myth or just the story of job know that we're going to die
1: i mean individually we don't oh, yeah. really believe it so so i mean
0: one of these you know big eggs <laughs> you're, like, you're like maybe yeah, yeah hmm. don't really buy it not me like everybody else you know, is gonna die not me yeah, him, him over four there. out of five maybe <laughs> yeah 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 that's so the, that's the, for other people yeah
1: <laughs> so the really interesting you know kind of uh the really interesting question you know it Philosophically, I suppose, not knowing anything about philosophy or anything else, or genetically or theologically, why create a creature that doesn't believe it's going to die? How did that come about, you know? Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think even the opposite would be Mm -hmm. even weirder if we could believe that we die because we're so geared towards survival even the fact that we know we're going to die in some sense seems to be a mistake. Like it's a, a bug rather than a feature. Because Because yeah. like chimpanzees and everything don't suffer existential angst. Not that we which know. Which is kind of an advantage. Yeah, yeah. Although, Not that we're aware of, yeah.
1: Yeah, you could mm. say, I mean, that's the big evolutionary advantage we have is fear of death. And that's that's the reason yeah. why we you know, our, our top of the evolutionary tree. Although I wonder about that sometimes, you know, <laughs> behind me, right? So yeah, there's a couple of, <laughs> there, there's a creature lying behind me on the floor. Right. Um, and yeah. she arrived, uh, about 10 years ago at our door. Uh, mm-hmm. she's brought her dinner, uh, and several snacks, uh, a day, uh, it's a dog, by the way. Um, yeah. She gets, she gets a fluffy bed. Uh, she likes actually double fluff. So it's a spongy mm-hmm. uh, spongy mat with double fluffy uh, coverings uh, on it, and that's brought into the bedroom at night for her. I don't see her uh, contributing to the mortgage or, or bothering to go no. out and, <laughs> you, you know, chase down any antelope. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, I think Mandy, the Labrador, is probably the top of the evolutionary tree.
0: (laughs) She has somehow worked out a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, I think exactly what you're saying is like that awareness of death, then that's what started the whole having to deal with the future. And in yeah. In the book of Job, he's, I guess he's kind of, is he aware of that? Is he aware of the impending mortality? Cause I don't, I don't know if all religion is really based around the impending mortality bit. I think the church concentrates on that a lot because yeah. of the whole hell heaven thing. <laughs> but it seems to me a lot of religion, just, I don't know, looking at it is about values, about what's most important in the face of it's annihilation.
1: Yes. uh, uh, Yes. uh, Some of the Eastern religions particularly, and, you know, a lot of them focus on, you know, letting go of the individual ego. I often wonder why Mm -hmm. Christianity caught on so much in Ireland, you know, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. 1600, 1700 years ago. I often wonder what...
0: Yeah, it seems like we're natural pagans, to be honest. I, well, but
1: yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, if you read all the Gaelic literature, <laughs> we were, you know, having a great old time uh, before, yeah, before uh, the monks arrived and you know the bishops and, and and stuff. So why did we fall fall for it? You know, you can you kind of get get a picture of pre Christian societies as pretty comfortable with their own mortality. Um, the success of Christianity and Ireland, would suggest otherwise, you know, but I mean, what the alternative, the alternative to religion isn't non-religion, you know, the alternative to, you know, being very preoccupied with our own mortality isn't being okay with our our own mortality. The alternative is, uh, the alternative is cocktails, uh yeah. um, football. Pints. Uh I don't know, pints or some other completely come some other completely different way of thinking. Uh that where
2: you know that doesn't all. Maybe. Maybe. Um and maybe that's maybe that's what's being born
1: now in Ireland.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would be, well, that's my right. two cents on it is that people are, I think we're essentially religious thinkers. I think that's why we like stories. I think stories are, we need this kind of narrative to make sense of our lives, which doesn't really, because otherwise it's just too painful, man. I think it it's impossible to really live just as this kind of little cell in a big, massive universe that you don't really understand without becoming cripplingly addicted to binge drinking or whatever else. Mm. (laughs) So I think people find it's like, yeah, you pick one or the other. It's kind of, you need a low resolution representation of reality or some story to make sense of what we're doing. And if you throw religion out, it's not just everybody's just enlightened and rational. They'll start making up other ones to fill the space. That's why like Scientology and shit that's just like obviously false. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Can have so much traction because it fills a void, I think. Yes. But it's
2: strange, isn't it? When it's mm-hmm. obvious
1: sorry, when when it's obvious that it's meaningless
2: yet mm-hmm. still persistent and trying to find meaning. You know, even to well, say, I it's, think it's—I wouldn't
3: say—but
2: uh, mm-hmm. even to say, sure, you, you know, don't. it's
1: meaningless. You know, or is it? Mm-hmm. Is it meaningless?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's not the question. Maybe that's not the question. Maybe that's not the important question. Maybe we're just.
0: Yeah, for me, I, I think it's which one works best because I think people find meaning in all sorts of kinds of things and any sort of tribalism or um all kinds of different pursuits like even people that find science staring at fruit flies all day meaningful and you're kind of like yeah it seems very disconnected but it's kind of part of a larger tradition that yeah, yeah. gives your individual life some context um so we yeah. we have yeah we have the sense for meaning i think
1: yeah but the you other question is then of, why does it not work
0: Yeah, why are we so bad at it? Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's a good point.
1: Why do we lose our our face and staring at fruit flies, (laughs) etc.? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Why are we so conflicted by it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's the job thing. You know, you have that because you're constantly being tested and it's probably easier to lose your faith in things than it is to keep it, to be honest, faced with all of the inevitable headaches. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, the position of the other character in the play, in the book of mm-hmm. Joe, position, I'll talk about talk about this very briefly because it'll probably never be seen. It'll never be staged. So this is probably, it's only run out. Um, <clears throat> The position of the, the other... We can car- do
0: a bit of it now if
1: you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hold on, I'll go and get its 120-odd <laughs> pages. <laughs> uh, I mean, the position of her partner is you think there's death with a capital D. There's only dying, and the time to think about that is when you're yeah. doing it. And there are people who have that very yeah. healthy healthy attitude, Uh I mean, she thinks she says that people have been making her feel small all her life with the big questions. What if the big question is, What's for dinner?
0: (laughs) You know,
1: that's a good point. Yeah. What can I I make her for dinner that would cheer her up? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the big question.
0: Mm. That's really interesting because that's kind of like, you know, where the, the tires meet the road when you're actually faced with that position. It always makes me wonder about people in palliative care yeah. that deal with dying people all of the time
3: yeah.
0: and how, how anybody can actually do that job without losing their mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and be perfectly happy doing it is a very interesting nuance to human yeah. beings.
1: Well, we need to talk to those people because, you know, with the decline of religion. You know, Netflix does not deal with that. Netflix is not going to prepare us <laughs> for those final... The Netflix
0: original documentary. Yeah. yeah. How to, face, yeah. Your, how to yeah. face your mortality. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, maybe. Um, instead, they give us these repressed... Uh, Versions of it with, you know, bodies lying on uh, coroner's tables being unzipped Mm. by the coroner and their organs exposed, particularly young women. Um, It's very, very Freudian, I think. It's the return, our preoccupation with... With dead bodies, I also include zombie movies in this. Our preoccupation with dead bodies is yeah. is classic Freudian return of the repressed, you know. In the absence of a, a, morbid. a yeah, well, in the absence of a of a religion that we've junked, uh, the problem the problem hasn't gone away. It just returns as vampires, zombies, and and dead bodies, um, mm-hmm. and true crime. Uh, where where justice and immortality are are
2: represented by vampire slayers, uh, zombie killers, uh, and the detective who cracks the case.
0: Do you think that's the inevitable, I don't know, that's almost like the return of, I always think that with the Marvel movies, do you ever see them? That's kind of like the return of polytheism. Where you've got like, we're in this I, I, weird I, I kind a of a like funny ancient Mon- Greek time. Yeah, I, I, I don't see them because I am an adult.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: ah,
0: Jimmy, <Cobb>. God. <laughs> I would have thought you'd have Spider-Man pajamas or something.
1: <laughs> no, I, I saw I did, I, yeah, did see, it, I did see one. It was on the TV. I saw a bit of it. It was very peculiar. There was one of them was a giant turd.
0: There was four of them. There was four of them, and one was a giant.
1: One was a giant turd. One was a busty, (laughs) busty woman. Then there was a blue man. Was made out of Fantastic Four. Well, you tell me. Uh, One of them, I think, was a kind of sort of blue Uh, flame. Or something. Yeah. The human see this is another this is another thing
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. this all started in the nineteen nineties when you were still in the womb uh the in- yeah. the infantilization uh of
2: culture um yeah it's not okay as an adult to uh, watch
1: marvel movies. <laughs> it's not okay to read. Uh, the Lord of the Rings after the age of twelve, right? <laughs> it's not what
0: about Harry Potter. And no, it's up definitely the-
1: not okay to read <laughs> Harry Potter. Right after the age of maybe t- okay. ten to twelve. After then, r- around 12, that, okay. yeah, th- then you should be out rioting at that age, rioting <laughs> and and gaining the the fundamentals uh, of. Um, apophatic theology
0: (laughs) but I think he could be onto something there that I mean the rise of the whole fantasy superhero thing is that's just religion for non-religious people
1: yeah but it's It's rubbish it's rubbish religion it's it's, (laughs) it's It's got a lot of
0: CGI
1: kind of like yeah, it's re- Yeah, religion with pecs <laughs> uh, and and busts. <laughs> yeah.
0: it's religion. If it yeah, and went, went to the gym more. Yeah, Jesus with six pack abs. Jesus with a
1: six pack and and no consciousness.
0: Yeah, no consequences. I mean, the original Jesus story is, it's pretty terrifying if you actually think about the whole having to sacrifice yourself for a hypothetical salvation that you don't benefit from. Um Absolutely. it's a pretty stern example I'd say. Um
1: what are and what are his last words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken My God I I I mm-hmm. mean i what's the answer to that question in his mind? The answer mm-hmm. the the obvious answer mm-hmm. to that to that question in his
2: mind is Because you don't exist. Because I have done this to myself and you
1: don't exist. I've done this to myself, to my mother as well, who's watching me and you don't exist. So that's why I have very little appetite for hearing people criticize. Religion and Christianity, in particular, for being simplistic. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, no, that's about as deep as you get. Yeah, God, that
1: God, that God died. That avatar of God died an atheist, or certainly died in terrible doubt. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, he was. He was. He was back in action by by the Sunday. So
0: that's <laughs> Yeah, he We've yeah the trilogy, which was nice. He kinda of got a second go at it. Yeah. But um but it is those kind of questions I think where I don't know, there is something that I'm drawn to about them that they're just they're pretty hardcore. They seem like if you're really thinking about what it means to be a human being, you're gonna to gravitate towards those type of ancient ideas.
2: Yeah. Rather yeah.
0: than maybe the cultural infantilization.
1: Um, and what I'm kind of poking
2: at is, we think of those as first order questions.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What if we're wrong? What mm-hmm. if that's what if that's a cultural bias or cultural construct? Yeah.
1: They are questions, mm-hmm. but they're not the most important questions. So mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe these people who are you know much more preoccupied with issues of social justice um and those are the first order questions to them um maybe they're right
2: yeah mm-hmm.
1: so so you know you hope to pose you hope to pose these questions and in, in in players that they even come across who knows
0: um well, it at least gives you a way of teasing them out. Yeah, in a kind of you get, you feel like you learn, or at least can stop thinking about it for.
1: Yeah, or, a brief or, of or, time. or at least you can go, oh, well, there's a fellow soul in torment, and <laughs> you know that's, that's <laughs> yeah. there's value to that. You know, you, you know as John York said, the, the the greatest response to a work
2: of art is you too. <laughs> not not Bono that's
0: the I suppose
2: the oh no
1: yeah not Uh yeah so
0: uh, and um, I, I interrupt you there um, you too yeah that's kind of the touching on the whole empathy thing again that's yeah I, I suppose that art reveals at a certain point that we're all in the same boat and it's probably not as glamorous as we're making it out to be.
1: Yes, um, that... Um, that's definitely something I'm... Yeah, and it's a sharing
2: of secrets.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: I mean, if you're...
1: You know, we don't... We don't write plays about being hungry. And we go, oh, you, are you hungry too? You know? Um <laughs>
0: <laughs> the great realization <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah um <laughs> you know we tend to write great plays about secrets and we put them we expose them you know um mm-hmm. so it's got to come it's got to come with an element of surprise too i mean these are all very lofty ambitions you know you know, when you actually go to the theatre.
0: <laughs> Whereas somebody's watching the play going, what is this show? What is this shite? Why yes. didn't I go to the cinema?
1: Yes, or <laughs> I give up a night in the pub. Because I actually have some advice <laughs> for potential uh, audience members for this, right? Uh-huh. Here, here it comes. Yeah. Go to the Saturday matinee. That way a play won't spoil your Saturday night. <laughs> that was a piece of advice that was passed on to me. Um I, I
2: think it is. I think it's brilliant.
0: That's a good idea. Kind of reminds me of Michael West saying if you if you see somebody after they've put on a play and it's it was absolute shite just to go up to them and instead of commenting on the play, just say, You've done it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I loved what you did get out of jail free card yeah I loved what you did with (laughs) the stage
0: numbers (laughs) yeah that's another one isn't it I loved what you did with the the, yeah the talking was great Um, (laughs) and and what are some plays you would recommend for aspiring playwrights to read or to look at
1: I like the ones uh, do you have any that you go? Yeah, I like the ones by Mahan McCann, they're good. Oh, uh, yeah, and I like the ones by Jimmy McAlevey, they're good too. Yeah,
0: uh, also good.
1: Right, let me let me look up on the bookshelf here. Uh, what to read yesterday? I read The Deep Blue Sea by Terence Rattigan, didn't get that at all. Uh, you heard of it. Anything...
0: Yeah. Was that by, a play or
1: a... Uh, it's a play, yeah, yeah, by a kind of uh, uh-huh. mid-century uh, London writer. Um Who was once a big deal. No, I I didn't get it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, anything by a Scottish playwright called Anthony Nielsen. N-E-I-L-S-O-N.
2: Anthony <sighs> Nielsen. He'd be a favorite of mine. Uh Sad. my mates. No, better mention all my mates. Uh
1: hold on, there's only one of them. Uh but brilliant exponent of naturalism uh is Owen McCafferty. Uh his play Scenes from the Big
2: Picture. Um mm-hmm. Kind of masterful, uh, several a lot of
1: stories, uh, interwoven really brilliantly done, uh, in, in naturalism, um, which I, I can't do, mm-hmm. um, Marina Carr, Michael West.
0: And what's what's next for yourself whenever all this shite, if it calms down?
2: Well, I have a bunch
1: of. I have a bunch of players in various states. Uh I have that yeah. novel. Uh I'm a third of the way through it and I have the, the, the screenplay version of the novel. So you know, I find I need to have lots of lots of planes on the runway and and hopefully one, one gets to take off. So yeah. I've yeah, three players a screenplay, and a novel—all, all, 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 cooking. Um, Whoa! But all these things, you know, I mean, they can they can evaporate uh, in in an
2: instant. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the nature of yeah. of the thing. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, definitely gives me mild anxiety. Okay, yeah, <laughs> there's,
1: yeah. There's the, there's still time. The process of. There's still time I, to I'll learn I'll stop how this one
0: doing this podcast. Like, yeah, Mike,
1: <laughs> oh, there's still time to learn <laughs> and how to start making
0: money this way. Yeah.
1: No, there's still time to learn how to do something to write computer games.
0: Yeah. Or plumbing. Or, I, I remember that the, one of the first weeks in the MA when you went around and you said to everybody and you asked me and you said, Does your mom have a shed in the back garden? Yeah, which you can move into when you yeah. try and become a writer. Yeah, um, I'm definitely. I uh, can see where you're coming from on that one.
1: Well, I, I uh, actually I don't know. Designs. I suppose it's something. I have the for so that shit. Yeah, <laughs> which I which, which consider
0: a writing bed, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's class. Um, well. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jimmy. I hope to see you again in person so, at some point, perhaps with yeah. a beverage of some sort. Wouldn't that be nice? In the playwright?
1: Yeah.
0: That's, yeah. Yeah, that'd be lovely. If things keep no. going, it's possible.
1: Pleasure was all mine, Martin. Thanks for listening to me.
0: I appreciate the time, Jimmy. It was a good chat. But oh, was not a hell of a conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, the blog, just good general blather, then maybe consider shelling out a few dollar reviews. There is a link to the buy me a coffee page in the description and you can sign up to be a member if you want to keep supporting the podcast or just leave one time donation. At the moment, we're saving up for more equipment um, and by equipment, I mean new champagne glasses for me and Brian and rollerblades for our rollerblades, obviously. Bon.